We're looking at Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, the bottom of page 585, and then we'll turn the page. So we said last week, the first half of Isaiah 1 through 39 kind of a, is the prophecy about destruction, the prophecy about being run over by Babylon and being taken into exile. And scholars think that there was probably a break between when chapter 39 was written and chapter 40 was written, and that this is written to people toward the end of the exile, getting them ready for what's coming next. And so that's where we pick up the story today, Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the word of the Lord. So this weekend I saw the musical Rent. Yeah. If you haven't seen the musical Rent, it's a, one of the darker musicals. It takes place during the AIDS epidemic in New York City. And the characters are a bunch of misfits, really, who don't belong anywhere. And because they don't really belong anywhere and they can't really make connections, they try and fill their lives with a lot of different things. So, heroin, a big player in this story. Sex is a big player in the story. Sex with lots of different people in lots of different ways. Trying to make it big as a filmmaker. Trying to write that one song that's going to change the world. Putting their hopes in these things as they live in an abandoned warehouse or in an empty lot. And they have these people who are around them, but aren't really loyal to them. They just, they just don't really belong. And there's this one scene in the musical when all the characters are sitting together around a table and they are cheering this life that they're living. La vie bohème. The bohemian life, this, this life where we just get to do whatever we want. We don't belong to anybody. Isn't this great? It's all on us. We can do whatever we want. We live our life the way we want. La vie bohème. 
a shallow life. They don't belong. They don't even know what it is to belong. And so they keep searching and stuffing and moving and trying to figure out what it means to have intimacy and they never have it at all. I think we kind of get that. We don't really fit with any group, so whenever we're with the, the group that drinks, we, we're a drinking person. And whenever we're in the group that's into sports, we are into sports. And wherever in, we're in the, with the group that goes to church, we go to church. We just, we don't belong anywhere, so we become a chameleon fitting in anywhere. Or we don't really fit with our floor, and so we shut the door and just play video games all the time. Or, we, or the only place we fit maybe is in academia, and so we just spend our time pouring into studies, and we're in the lab all the time, and we just tell our friends we're too busy. But the truth is, we don't really have any friends. And work is a way for us to be distracted from that. And so we stuff our lives that things that kind of make us feel like we belong to somebody somewhere. And this is why some of us are just kind of obsessed with the idea of finding somebody to date so at least we'll have belonged to somebody else. Oh, oh. It's hard not to belong. It's hard not to feel like you have roots, that you have people who care for you, who know you, who'd be able to read your face in an instant and say, are you all right? That's hard. It's hard to feel like you don't belong anywhere. And right now, you're probably thinking you're the only person who has ever felt that way. But the flip is true. Everybody in the room has felt that way. We all know what it's like to feel like we don't belong. the people that we're reading about, the people that we've been reading about as we've studied Isaiah, have landed in a spot where they don't belong. They used to belong. They had a relationship with God in which he said, I'm your God and you're my people, and they were covenanted together and it was great, but that was generations ago. And instead of really leaning into that relationship, they decided that they were better off on their own and being owned by themselves was a lot of fun, la vie bohème. And so they cheered a life of gluttony and drunkenness and greed and they exploited the poor. And now they're in exile. And one of the strategies of the captors when they take them into exile is to strip away any previous identity, any previous roots that they had are gone. 
And so they feed them Babylonian food and they give them Babylonian names and they have them wear Babylonian clothes and build Babylonian buildings for the glory of Babylon. But they don't belong there. And if they were released to go back to Jerusalem, there is nothing left of Jerusalem. So they don't really belong there either. They know the deep pain of feeling like you don't belong. In fact, verse 22 of chapter 42 describes them like this. This is a people robbed and plundered. All of them are trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become a prey with no one to rescue, a spoil with no one to stay, restore. They don't belong anywhere. But Isaiah 43 begins with a very important word. But, but now, Something is going to happen. A change is going to come. But now, says the Lord, but now things are going to be different. But now, thus says the Lord. And then we have these really strong verbs all in a row. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. I have created you, he says to them. I created you, I made you who you are. Generations ago, I called Abraham out of nowhere and I said to him, your descendants are gonna be like the stars in the sky, like the sand on the seashore. Do you remember that, Israel? Do you remember that? I created you. And then I formed you over time through giving you the law and teaching you my ways. I formed you into a people who wouldn't look like any other people out there, who'd be totally different, worshiping this one God and having these funny laws about what you ate and who you had sex with and how you dressed and everybody thought you were odd and weird, but I was forming you. I created you, I formed you. And then there's this really interesting word. He says, do not fear, for I have what? Redeemed you, redeemed you. Now in Hebrew, the word for redeem is goel. And it actually has a reference to the next of kin, or the kinsman redeemer. Because in their law system, they had it set up so that there was a man who was married to a woman and they had had no children, and the man died, his next of kin, usually his brother, would step in and marry his wife and have children with her, and they would carry on her first husband's name, his brother's name. If he did not step in, if the kinsman redeemer did not act, the widow, would belong to no one. She would be set adrift. She would have no family and no roots at all. Some of you may know the story of the book of Ruth. 
Ruth is a widow. She's a foreigner. She and her mother-in-law come back to Bethlehem, interestingly enough. And there's a guy who takes notice of her. And he's pretty sure he's her kinsman redeemer, but there's somebody closer. And so he goes to the guy who's actually next in line to, to get Ruth, and he says to her, hey, there's some land that you're in line for because you're the next relative. And the guy's like, excellent. He says, oh, one little thing. Uh, there's a woman who comes with the land. You'd have to marry her. And the guy says, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. So Boaz is Ruth's kinsman redeemer. And the woman who had nothing, the widow who was on the margins, the widow who was poor, suddenly belongs to Boaz and becomes the great-grandmother of King David. She belongs. So when God says to his people, I created you, I formed you, I redeemed you, he is saying to them, I am stepping into this situation. You have been a widow who has been left, but I am the next of kin, and I intervene. I step in and say, you belong to me. I redeem you. I claim you. And then he says, I have called you by name. You are mine. So here's a, here's a quiz question for you. The three people in the fiery furnace, what were their names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were their Babylonian names. The names that were given to them by their conquerors to strip them of their identity. Does anybody know their Jewish names? Yes! Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. All of you extra points. Extra credit points. Tell your professor... Whatever it takes, I'll write a note. Yes. <laughs> Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those were their names. For some reason, Daniel throughout the book is still called Daniel, probably because maybe he wrote it. It's like, I'm not being called Belteshazzar. I'm not doing that, no. <laughs> All of you named Daniel, thank him for that. You could have been Belteshazzar. You're not. <laughs> the name said, I own you. Your identity is gone. Hananiah? No, 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 no. Abednego. You have a new name. And the name says that I am in charge of you. I have named you. I claim you. And this happened for all the captives who came in. They all were given new names. They were stripped of their family identity. And so when God says to them, says to these people who are in exile, says to these people who don't belong, he says, I have called you by name. You are mine. You belong to me. So in these four very strong verbs, create, form, redeem, rename, we have God saying one very clear message to his people, you belong you belong to me. And everything that flows in the rest of the chapter comes out of that identity, out of those roots. Because you belong to me, when you pass through the waters, I'm with you. When you go through those rivers, 
nothing. When you go through the fire, it won't even touch you. In fact, you won't even smell like smoke. Then he says, because I love you and you are precious and you are treasured, I give Egypt in exchange for you, Cush, Ethiopia, or Seba for you. And we think, I'm sorry, what's happening right now? What is he doing here? What, what he's doing here is reminding them of the first exodus. You remember the 10th plague in the exodus was the plague of death. And there were Egyptians who died. And it was because of their deaths that Pharaoh was so disoriented, so disarmed, so scared that he let the people go. So God is saying to his people who know this old story of the exodus, he is saying to them, I'm doing a new exodus. I'm setting you free in a new way so that you will belong to me afresh and new again. Last time I just gave up Egypt. This time, you know what? I'm throwing in Cush and Seba because I love you that much. It's not like, let's do a little bartering here. I'll throw in an Egyptian. You give me an Israeli. It's a figure of speech for him to say, just as I was willing to lay down lives for you before, I am willing to do that again because you are so precious to me. I will do whatever it takes to bring you home. And you see at the end of the section that we read that God has this image of a family reunion. And he says, I'm going to say, hey, bring your daughters over. Bring your sons over. I'm going to go wherever it takes to bring everybody together because we are family and we belong. And our Jesus, our Jesus does the same thing. Our Jesus creates, he turns water into wine, a sign of prophecy being fulfilled as we learn, we studied Isaiah 5. He creates, and our Jesus forms because he says, you heard it was said to you, but I say to you, and he takes the law that has been so steeped in this people, and he says, you gotta make it fresh, people, you gotta live what you believe, and he forms them through the giving of the law. He creates, he forms, and he redeems. To all who are on the margins, to all who are lost, Jesus steps in as the kinsman redeemer. And he says, I got you. I'm fighting for you. I'll do what it takes to bring you home. You belong to me. And well, last time, there were other nations that suffered. This time, it's the Son of God himself who says, in my death, in my resurrection, I redeem you. 
when he's getting ready to send his people out, to send his disciples out right before he ascends. He says to them, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always. If you were baptized, you were renamed. There was a new name given to you. The world likes to stick a lot of names on you. Nerd, tall person, short person, fat person, skinny person, smart person, not so smart person, jock, musician, gay, straight, white, black, Korean, lots of labels. Jesus says, I name you after me. You are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I read, name you. All those other names that other people put on you, you just shake them off. Those are the names of captivity. The baptism name is the name of life and truth. When I was watching Rent, and it was the scene when everyone was celebrating the bohemian life, there's part of me that was just really sad for these characters. And then I had this other very clear thought. Jesus would be at that table. Jesus would be at the table with the prostitute who was hooked on heroin, with the transvestite who was kicked out of his house, for the people who had broken dreams, for the homeless, for every one of them who had AIDS. He'd be right there at that table. Because he's all about the misfits. He's all about the people who don't fit in. In his life, people brought him children and the disciples said, no, 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 not children. Like, they're snotty and they got drool. And he was like, no, 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 bring them, bring them, bring them, bring them. And there were women who followed him and sat at his feet and taught. And a Samaritan woman who was there and the disciples were like, why is he talking to a woman? This is very awkward. He was like, no, 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 this is, this is where I go. This is what I do. And he got so good at sitting around the table with people who were living on the margins that they called him a drunkard. They called him a partier. Because that's where he was. Jesus loves the misfits. Jesus loves everybody who doesn't belong. I was reading on Yik Yak this week. <laughs> Your cover is now blown. For those of you who don't know, both of you. <laughs> Yik Yak is an app that allows people to post anonymous comments about the place where they are, usually a college campus. I was reading on Yik Yak this week about a student 
who wrote to thank a rugby player. Did you see this? She wrote to thank this rugby player who looked in her eyes and saw that she looked sad and came over to her and talked with her and listened to her and prayed with her. And she wrote, he will never know it, but he saved a life tonight. That rugby player is somebody who's been shaped because he belongs to Jesus. And he was open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in that moment when he could have just walked on by, as so many of us do. He could have just walked on by, but in that moment, he stopped and he paid attention and he noticed and he looked at somebody who felt like she didn't belong. And when we feel like we don't belong, when we feel like we don't have community, it does make us wonder if life is worth living. Does my life matter at all? Would anybody notice if I were gone? This is where we go when we feel like we don't belong. We take the bus right over to Crazy Town. And we need somebody who gets on that bus with us and sits at us and looks us in the eye and says, you matter. Tell me your story. Tell me about your pain. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that pain right to Jesus. Because Jesus loves you. That's who we get to be for each other. That's who we get to be for each other. Because God has done this for us. Because God says to us, you are precious and honored and I love you. We get to say that to each other. You are precious and honored and God loves you. And your life matters matters to God and it matters to me. And so we are going to be a community of people who though the temptation is strong to put it out there anonymously about our pain or our disappointments or whatever is happening in our lives, we are going to have the courage to look someone else face to face and say, I feel like I don't belong. Today I feel like I'm really hurting and I need someone just to listen. And we're going to be the kind of people, because God did it for us, that we're going to say, yes, tell me your story. I will listen. I will bring you to Jesus, because that's what God did for me. Can you imagine if we were a community that actually every person here felt like they were honored and precious in the sight of God? If we were a community where we actually believed every life matters, including mine, that we were a community that said, if somebody's sitting all by themselves, if somebody's dorm room is closed, we're going to check up on it. 
We're going to follow through because we're family. God has done that for us. And I know for some of you, it freaks you out a little bit to think, A, someone's going to ask me why my face looks sad today. Awkward. Or B, now I'm going to have to look around for sad people. I don't know what that's going to be like. (laughs) But here's what we also believe. That we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do hard things. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be courageous people. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to look different from other communities. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to love each other deeply and to admit that we all feel like misfits every now and then. And we're just going to love our crazy misfit selves. That's the kind of community I want to be in. That's the kind of community that God shapes. That's the kind of community that Jesus was in all the time. You belong, he says. I created you. I formed you. I redeemed you. I named you. You belong to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for this word of hope and life from the book of Isaiah. We thank you for the testimony of the student about the rugby player who acted a lot like you, Jesus. And Lord, we want more of those stories, not just on Yik Yak, but in our dorms and in our houses and in our classes and on our teams, in our music groups. May we stop trying to pretend that we have it all together. May we stop walking by people who are hurting. Empower us, Holy Spirit, so that we can be the people you long for us to be. And help us to do that starting tonight, right now. Thank you for giving us all we need to be yours, now and forever. And all God's people say, amen. There's a great confession of the church that gets right at the heart of this. And it was written by two guys named Zach and Casper. Zach and Casper were 23 and 25 when they wrote a catechism. They were based in Germany, so they named it after a local town. They call it Heidelberg. Catechism is a question and answer form in which they taught the things that were really important to the faith. So these are your brothers from way back when, who said, when we're running a catechism, this is where we're going to start. This is the thing. So I'll read the question, and then we'll all read the answer. My brothers and sisters, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, 
in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him.